we can sit down now. <laughs> okay, so the last few weeks we've been talking about uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus being filled with the Spirit, and we spent a few weeks on that. And then we talked about being led by the Spirit, and we spent a few weeks talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. And the end result of, of being filled and being led is the third thing that happened to Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Is The Bible says that he came out of the wilderness, that experience that none of us want to go through. Uh, none of us want to be in those times and seasons of life, but we all go through them. And they're shaping us and they're forming our faith. And they're helping us to make the decisions that we need to make about life. Am I going to continue to fight against God? Or am I going to allow God to take the reins? Am I going to allow God to win? Am I going to bow to him or am I going to give him 100%? Am I just going to allow him to be involved in this part of my life but I'm going to keep these parts back because I know better than God and I can do. And so that wilderness is an opportunity where God puts us in this space where we get a chance to have a genuinely good look at our faith. It's like... um, the, the, the stories in the Bible where Jesus, you, you would have read them, where Jesus would send his disciples onto a boat and they would encounter a storm. You ever thought about that? It's such a loving, wonderful God. Why would Jesus send them out there? He knew there was going to be a storm. He knew they were going to panic. He knew they were going to stand up on the boat. He knew they were going to accuse him of not caring because Jesus, the Bible says, in one of those stories, he's asleep on a pillow on the boat while they're all panicking. He knew that they were going to carry on like that, and he knew the storm was coming. So why do that? And sometimes these things happen in life. Not for It's, it's not so that God can see something. It's so that we can see something about ourselves, that we will probably f- fight and deny and say is not there, but the reality is it's there. Now, the worst form of deception is self-deception. And I read the stories of the disciples on a boat and they go out in the middle and a storm hits and Jesus is sleeping and Jesus wakes up and he rebukes their lack of faith. In that moment, he targets their faith. It's not any other aspect. It's their faith that he goes after. He says, where was your faith? In other words, you can go through storms. You can go through difficult times. Not only can you go through them, you can curl up on a pillow and sleep in the boat just like I am. You don't have to allow these things to stress you and to, 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 to throw your whole life out of kilter and out of whack because God is with you. God is with you and he's walking the journey with you and he's in the boat with you and so on. So there's something really powerful about those storm moments, those uh, wilderness moments that we all go through them and we continue to go through them because that's part of the way that God continues to refine our hearts and refine who we are and allows us to continuously see who we are in a new light. Because if you asked me, how good am I right now? I'll tell you, I'm awesome. I'm fantastic. If you asked me, how much more work do you think needs to happen in my life before I'm conformed completely into the image of Jesus? I'd probably say, oh, 6%. I'm 94% there. Look at me. Seriously, look at me. I'm awesome. And then God does something in my life and all of a sudden he sits back and he goes, right here, I'm going to ask you the same question again. How much work do you think I need to do in your life before you conform to the image of Jesus? And then I go, oh, 93%? Okay, sweet. Let's, let's keep going forward on this journey. But then eventually I get to the same point again and I go, look at me, I'm awesome. I'm about 98% now. I'm nearly all there. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Alan, and the rest of you. And then God allows a storm to happen. Something happens in my life and I go through it again. And he sits me down and he goes, I'm going to ask you the same question again, Alan. It's a bit like Peter, like, do you love me? Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Yeah, of course I love you. And he comes at him a second time, do you love me? And Peter goes, I just answered you. Yes, of course I love you. And he asks him a third time, do you love me? He's like, what? But by the third time, he's talking about a different type of love and Peter's got a bit more self-awareness about himself. 
And uh, in the Greek, he actually says, goes from going, yes, I've got this ultimate God-type love where I'd sacrifice everything to you to kind of a version of, well, no, no, I, I really like you. <laughs> I really like you. It's great. But there's this process that we go through where we become more aware of who we are. And, and our relationship with God grow stronger in those moments. See, our relationship with God is meant to be a real thing. I know we, we use this term, we talk about your relationship with God. We throw it about like it's some kind of church slogan, you know, or relationship with God, to the point where it actually loses its power. You ever notice that about church? Sometimes we throw th- words out. So often they actually lose their significance and they lose their power, you know? Your relationship with God. Relationship, well, what does it actually mean to have a relationship with God, you know? Well, what does it mean to have a relationship with, with my wife? It's, there's communication. There's openness. There's humility. There's times of oh, where, where you, you need to listen to correction. There are times where you need encouragement and they pick you up, you know? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? And we go through these moments of life, and, our, and, and each time we do, we make choices. So are we going to strengthen our walk with God? Are we going to believe God more, in, i.e. build our faith? Or are we going to allow that circumstance to rock our faith so that we go, well, I actually believe in God a bit less today than I did yesterday, and a bit less today than I did yesterday, and a bit less till eventually I wake up one day and go, I don't even believe anymore. I don't want to follow him. So God uses those moments. They're significant and they're important. So we've been talking about, about um, being led uh, by the Holy Spirit. The end result of being filled and being led, it says in the life of Jesus that he came out of the wilderness empowered by the Spirit. Empowered by the Spirit. I want to start to just have a bit of a look at this whole issue of being empowered by the Spirit. How many of you know that Christianity is a supernatural lifestyle? It's a supernatural life. The minute you gave your life to Jesus, the moment that you said yes to God, did you know that that moment would never have happened without something supernatural happening before it? 2 Corinthians 4 4 says this. It says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to his image of God. In other words, unbelievers, when you weren't walking with God, there were literally these spiritual blinders over your eyes and you could not see God. Something supernatural had to happen at the very beginning before you even began to walk with God. Something supernatural happened in your life. You were not aware of it though, but something supernatural happened. Those blinders had to be taken off. They weren't taken off by a person. Because if you think you can do that, I want you to go and find your closest, dearest, non-Christian friend. When you go home, I challenge you, walk out there. I want you to walk up to their face and start doing this and see what happens. They'll probably punch you in the nose. And if you're going to go up and start doing this, please don't you dare say, they told me at church is what I should be doing. But somehow, supernaturally, in another dimension, that's what happened. These blinders were removed from your eyes and all of a sudden, you began to understand and think, could it be? Maybe this Jesus character is real. Maybe God is out there. That didn't happen just because you've got a dizzying intellect and just thought, wow, I'm just, you know. No, no, it happens because there's this spiritual dimension to life and these blinders were taken away. You entered into the kingdom of God. You were born again. When you came to faith, something supernatural happened. Colossians says that you were translated or transported from the kingdom of darkness. You were literally picked up and plopped into the kingdom of light. That's a supernatural thing that took place. See, one of, one of our problems is we're so enamored with this natural world. We're so caught up and focused on the natural side of life that we fail to recognize that there is a spiritual dimension to this world we live in. There is a spiritual dimension to everything that is going on right here in the natural. 
And, and I, I don't want to wig people out, but if you read your Bible, you will, you, will, you will see in there that there is God who loves you with incredible passion, has a plan and a purpose for your life and wants great things for you. He really, really does. It's the truth. But you've got over here an enemy, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. The Bible, mainly we refer to him in the New Testament as the devil. He's over here, the adversary, and he hates you with the same passion and zeal that God loves you. And as much as God has a plan and purpose for you to take you on to life and life abundantly, to allow you to unpack the hurts and the wounds and the damage and the stuff that's happened in your life, he wants you to unpack that so you can become more fully human. Because most of us, when we come to faith, we're not necessarily human in the sense of the way that God made us. We're some other manufactured type of human because we've been shaped and moulded to be this person because of the disappointments and the hurts and maybe the way we were brought up and the things society through it. And we, we come to, to faith in God and God begins this beautiful journey of creating, making us fully human again, getting us back to that person that he originally created when he formed and fashioned us in our mother's womb. And he said, wow, that's amazing. The Bible says that, that, that God created you for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So in other words, God thought, these are the works I've got for you. Then he made you specifically to do those good works. So the works came first. God had a vision for your life before you existed. He had a bunch of works there, a vision, a plan, and said, I need a person to do this, this, this. Now let's get to work, boys, and let's make the person that will be able to do this. But then we come into the world and then the devil starts running around doing his stuff and before you know it, we're no longer that person that fits over here and we get dragged over here and we become a different person. And when we come to faith, God goes, I'm going to take you back because those good works are still there for you to perform. I've still got a plan for you. There's nothing you've done that has now uh, taken that plan away. There's nothing you've done that's made me wipe my hands of you or go to plan B. I've still got a plan for you and I'm going to slowly unpack your life and heal the wounds and the hurts and the disappointments and bring you back to that place where you can walk in those good things that I prepared in advance for you to walk in. That's the plan of God. But of course, there's this devil and, and, and he's doing everything he can to drag you away from that, as far away from that as he can to distort your view of God so that you, you'll never want to uh, 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 walk into a church or you won't want to pray or you won't want to read a Bible. You won't want to do anything that brings you closer to God. So there's this battle going on in your life. Something was happening spiritually behind the scenes that you're completely unaware of. You, we just think, oh, one day I thought, oh, maybe I'll get into God and then I did. Now I'm a Christian. No, there was a battle going on for your life. There was an intense fight there were people praying for you. I'll guarantee each of you in this room, you probably had people praying for you. They were fighting for you when you didn't even know what was going on. Because we're so caught up in this world. I remember after I got, got saved at 19 years of age, I gave my life to Jesus. I hit a bad low patch of life. I didn't know how to sort of get out of it. I didn't have any background of Christianity, church, Bible, prayer, none of that. And at 19 years of age, I have this moment where I start to think about God and then, cut a long story short, I, I, I give my life to Christ. I bumped into my grandmother, uh, great-great-grandmother, uh, years after I'd been born again, and I didn't know this. But she was a Christian. I had no idea. That's how far removed my family was from that side of life. And great-great-grandma was, like, she was 100 years of age, 103, and she was still doing the gardening. She's still walking around the garden at Evans Head doing the gardening at 103. But anyway, I, I went to visit her and uh, she says to me, I, you know, starts talking and she goes, I, I, I know that you're a Christian ever. And then she goes, you know, when you and your cousin were little boys, 
that big. She said, you used to run around my kitchen, drive me nuts. But she said, I'd pray for you. I was praying for you when you were that big running around. I had no idea. She said, I always prayed for you from the time you were that big. And I think, you know what? Praise God, because there was a spiritual battle going on for my life. I had no idea about it. Thank you, God, that somebody else did. And they knew what to do about it, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And I'm standing here today doing what I'm doing, because a 103-year-old woman, she wasn't 103 at the time, she would have been a few years younger, but used to pray for these little annoying brats that ran around. My cousin, the other one that she used to pray for, he had an encounter with God many, many years ago as well. As a matter of fact, he had an encounter with God. We went to a concert one day, and and, uh, this friend of ours invited us to a concert. Turns out it's a Christian thing. You know, sometimes you drag people, you don't know what's going on, but you go along. And it turns out to be this Christian thing. At the end of it, a guy goes, anyone want to give their life to Jesus? My cousin grabs me and goes, if I'm doing this, you're doing it, and dragged me up the front. I'm getting pulled up like this, you know, no intention whatsoever. This guy's praying. My cousin was radically transformed. Radically transformed. Read the Bible. We'd be at school. He'd talk about Jesus. I'd be like, oh, dude, come on. You know, I'd want to walk away. I don't want... Now I'm doing this. And unfortunately, he, he got to a point in his life where he just drifted away. It was a battle for his life. God did everything he could to get him across the line. And then he made a choice. Because there's a battle going on. There's a fight going on. I was, I was, this is not my message, but I hope this is for someone. i just got to unload stuff. Uh, it, it says in Matthew 11, Jesus, he's talking about John the Baptist, and he makes this statement. He says, from the, time, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You ever read that verse? Matthew 11, there we go. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, he departed from there to, oh, what's that, verse 1? Keep going, Luke, we'll find it. When John, yep, it's taught, keep going. This is after he hears the works. Keep going, there we go. Go back. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Right? In other words, all the stuff we read in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they prophesied to a certain point. And then, then law stopped because we entered this amazing thing called an age of grace. And then the next, next verse, I think it is, Luke. Ah, keep going. You must have went past it. I saw it a second ago. You flashed it up a second ago. Look for, look for try 11, 12. Try 12 even. I feel like I'm at an auction. People throwing numbers at me. Try 11. Try to, yep, you just went past it again. <laughs> Come on, you can do anything. I've seen you do it. I've seen you just pluck stuff out of the sky. Look for the verse that says, uh, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violent take it by force. You've gone past it about four. There we go. That's it. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent people take it by force. It's a really weird verse. It's a really odd verse, right? But it's interesting that he goes, it's only from the time of John the Baptist to now that the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. Before that, it's like he's, 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 make, he's marking a moment in time and saying it's only from that moment to now that the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. Before that, there wasn't so much violence going on. That's the insinuation I'm reading here. I was reading it the other day and I thought, from the time of John the Baptist, why there? Why just that moment? What are you talking about? And I think it's this, because the law and the prophets were up until John. There was this age of law. But I also think it's more than just that. You see, here's, here's what happens. God creates mankind and God is in control. The kingdom of God is ruling the earth. Adam and Eve hand authority over to the devil. 
The serpent comes and says, did God say this? He's not telling you the truth. Eat the tree. So they did. And what happened was they were banished from the garden. And the kingdom dynamics of the world changed. No longer was humanity living under the complete rule of God. The kingdom of heaven was no longer the dominant force. God was there. We see God by his grace maintaining a remnant of people throughout human history called the Jewish people that he continued to put up with. And people say the Old Testament's all law. There's a lot of grace in the Old Testament. And and he he continues by his grace to maintain relationship with humanity, connection to the world through this group of people called the Jewish people. And then we get right through to the the New Testament time and the dynamic changes because all of a sudden us Gentiles now, non-Jewish people, we can now enter into a relationship with the same God that chose a particular people in the New Testament age, it changes. It's no longer just about one race. Now it's open to everybody. It's open to the human race, not just the Jewish race. Right? So God maintains contact with them, but the kingdom dynamic of the world changed because Adam and Eve handed the keys of authority over to the devil. Now we know this is true because when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, what was one of the temptations? Satan said, you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. He wasn't bluffing. He knew that he had authority. He knew it. And Jesus knew it too. Jesus knew it too. The kingdom dynamics changed in that moment when Adam and Eve handed authority over. And the world was different. God was in it. But spiritually speaking, there was a different dynamic going on. What happens when John the Baptist comes? John the Baptist comes and he begins to usher in the New Testament age of the church, if you want to put it that way. John the Baptist comes and he starts saying, Right, yeah, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And when he comes, guess what's going to happen? He's going to take the keys back. He's going to take the keys back. He's going to take the keys back. And the spiritual dynamic of mankind will change again. And so from that moment in time, I can imagine if we could see into the spiritual realm, Because Jesus said that times and seasons are in the hands of the Father. He said even about the return, the end of days. Jesus said, you know, don't listen to any nick and poop in the world that says they know the day and the hour. They don't. Jesus said even I don't. Only the Father knows that stuff. He knows the seasons and times. And so there's this season and time where this child is born called Jesus. And John the Baptist, you go into Luke and you'll see they're both sort of born around the same time. And the spiritual dynamic is changing. All of a sudden, here comes the Messiah. He's the one that's going to go. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to take the keys back off the devil. And the spiritual dynamic of the world will change. It will change. The kingdom of heaven is suffering violence because there's now this real genuine battle going on. The devil thought that he had it. He he got Adam and Eve years and years and years and years and years ago. And as far as he was concerned, the world was his. As far as he was concerned, spiritually speaking, he has dominion. God chooses a race of people to keep his fingers there in humanity. But all of a sudden, come the New Testament, Jesus makes his statement. He says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence since then, and violent people take it by force. What that literally means in the Greek is this. It doesn't mean about taking up clubs and swords and you know, going after Shrek in the swamp with your spears. It's not that. What it's talking about is a spiritual zeal, a spiritual aggression, a spiritual passion. In other words, this ability on the inside of us to realize, you know what, what we have in the natural world here is very, very comfortable, particularly in the West. We are very comfortable. Hey? We are very comfortable. I know that we might complain because we don't have the, the fast enough car or maybe we don't own our own home. We just rent one or maybe we, you know, we got all these. But let's, let's face it, we've got a pretty good life in the West. Pretty good. 
But there's this spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual battle going on, even as we speak right now. There are angels and demons engaging in warfare as we speak right now. The world, anyone watched that movie, The Matrix? Anyone seen The Matrix? Shows years ago when they came out. They were awesome because they were about this dude that's just living in the normal world like us and one day he wakes up and gets drawn into this world beyond the world and he realises that there's this other realm that's controlling this natural life where people are just going to work, eating, sleep and so on. But he realises there's this other realm going on and there's a fight going on in that realm to set the people free that are here in the natural world. A really interesting um, uh, sort of storyline when you think about it in the par- compared to the, what the Bible teaches about the world in which we live in. But there's this, this sense in which Jesus is saying in the New Testament times, there's a clash of kingdoms. In other words, there's a power struggle going on right now. There's a power struggle happening. We're completely oblivious most of it to it most of the time. We wonder why things happen. We feel the oppression of it. We feel the effects of it. We feel the, the, the weight of it at times. We see the impact. We see poverty. And we see genocide and nations fighting against each other. And we look at it and we go, that's terrible, that's bad. But if we could peel back the layers of the matrix and look behind the scenes, we would see demons. And we would see the devil. And we would see God. And we would see the battle that's raging for the lives of people. There's a battle that's raging for the lives of people. And here's the the thing. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He learned how to be led by the Spirit. And the end result was this. He came out in the power of the Spirit. Jesus, contrary to popular opinion, wasn't touching sparrows when he was in primary school and watching dead sparrows jump up. Anyone ever heard that stuff? Apparently when, yeah, apparently when Jesus was a kid, um, at lunchtime, only one person brought a sandwich because he would just break it and multiply it and he fed the whole school. That's what he used to do, just on the side while he's at school, you know? Somebody would just bring a little thimble of cordial, a bit like you got, and he would just bang, turn it into, and they'd have a feast. You know, everyone wanted to be in his class. It was amazing the stuff he used to do. You know, the teacher would write on the chalkboard and turn and try to explain something, and Jesus would, would just go like this, and they'd turn it, and it's wiped clean. And the kids would laugh, and the teacher would be, Jesus, doing it again. Got to draw the whole thing. Jesus did nothing supernatural until he was filled, led, and then he was empowered by the Spirit. From that moment on, we begin to see Jesus moving in a dimension of spiritual authority and spiritual power that we don't see him moving in at any point before that. All right? Let me tell you something. You have been filled with the Spirit. You are being taught and learning to be led by the Spirit. God wants to lead you into places where the power of the Spirit flows through you and we aggressively by force take background for the kingdom of God. Every time God steps into space, every time somebody is healed, every time somebody is set free, every time somebody has the blinders taken off their eyes and they come to faith in Jesus, every time poverty is uprooted, every time war and genocide are derailed, every time a a, a person is saved, a child is saved from an unhealthy future, every time something like that happens, it's like the kingdom of God is getting bigger and bigger and bigger in the spiritual dimensions and the kingdom of the enemy is shrinking. What we do is not just natural, but God wants us to learn how to be led because the people, the instruments that he uses to do these amazing, wonderful things are you and me. 
They're you and me. God wants to use you to lay your hands on sick people and see them healed. Who believes that? That is the plan and will of God for each of us. Some of us probably sit here and go, no, no, it's for that one. I don't believe that. And I can show you in the Bible, I believe that it's possible for everybody in this room to lay hands on a sick person and see them healed. I believe it's possible for you to open your mouth and to talk to somebody about Jesus and to talk to, 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 to somebody about the kingdom of God. I believe you can open your mouth and offer to pray for somebody and God can do something on your behalf. You can talk about Christ and while you're talking, I believe that God can remove the blinders off their eyes, unplug their ears so that what you're saying, even though it might make no sense to you, you might not think it's in- intelligible, you might not think you're smart enough, you might not think you know enough, but it's not about all that. It's about the power of God wanting to flow through normal human beings just like you and just like me. Our biggest problem in the West is we're so complacent. We just don't believe for it anymore. We're just happy. We're happy to be, have a nice life. We're happy to, to we, we want to come to God and our, and our prayer is, God, prosper me, bless me. Just prosper. As long as I'm blessed, as long as I've got more things, I feel like I'm blessed of God. But, but God's there going, it's, but there's more to it than that. One analogy of, of, of the church is a family. And we love that analogy. And I know a lot of people that love the analogy of family. Why? Because families love each other, care for each other. Proper, and, and, and that's one aspect of, of, of the, the, the church. We are a family. But there's another aspect of the church, and that is that we are an army. And we are the ones who are taking the kingdom by force. We are the ones that God wants to flow through and go, you know what, your light, that's dark, take your light into that dark. But you can't do it in your own. You're not going to have a great impact by yourself with your own intellect and your own abilities. You need something supernatural. So I've given you my Holy Spirit and he's going to speak to you and he's going to lead you and he's going to take you into those places. And when you follow him into those spaces, there's going to be a power encounter. But guess what? You're going to win. You're going to win. Because God always wins. God always wins wins. In John chapter 5, I'll finish up with this. Uh, John chapter 5, there's this story. And Jesus goes to a pool called the pool of Bethesda. And the Bible says that it's, it's a place that was, was rumored to have an angel that would come down every now and then and stir the waters. And when the angel came down and stirred the waters, the first sick person to put their feet into those waters was healed. The first sick person to get in there was healed. And Jesus comes across a man and is having a chat with him. And the guy goes, well, how's that ever going to happen for me? Every time the angel stirs the waters, I go to get in, somebody beats me. Somebody gets there quicker than me. You know, who's going to get me in there? Who's going to help me? I don't get it. If I was that dude and that was a pool, I'd be like this, 24-7, just to be the first one in. I'd be hanging over just an inch above it, waiting for a moment. Bang, yes, it's me. But I don't know, maybe he couldn't, maybe he was, I don't know. But he obviously wasn't doing that. Maybe he wasn't passionate enough to get healed. Maybe he just was, was sitting back. Because one of the things he said to Jesus, who's going to lift me? In other words, somebody else has got to do the fighting for me. Who else is going to carry me? It's somebody else's responsibility, somebody else's problem. And Jesus just, I don't know why, but he goes, look, here we go. Plop, you're healed. And the dude gets up and the dude's healed. It's an amazing story. And then Jesus continues a conversation with a crowd of people around that moment. And here's something that he says, because this is one of the questions that bugs me. Why did you heal that man, Jesus, but why did you walk away from the other 40 people? 
50 people, 100 people that were just as sick. That man didn't even come to you and beg you to heal him. You picked him out of the crowd. Why, Jesus, did you pick him? Isn't that unfair? Why didn't you pick this up? Why would you? That's not making sense. Not, not the God that I hear about. This doesn't make sense. And here's what happens as the story goes on. I'll just turn my Bible there. If I can read the fine print. I reckon, I reckon my letters get smaller every week. Eh? John chapter 5. He says to him, do you want to be made well? The man says, you know, no one can do it. He heals him. And then after he was healed, a bunch of religious leaders wanted to kill him. Why? Well, because he did it on Sunday. It's a good enough reason to kill a man, isn't it? He healed a person on Sunday. You better be here next Sunday. You don't know what we could start doing. On the basis of that, I feel like I've got permission. This is a holy day. If you don't pull your weight, I've got some biblical scriptures here. Uh, Anyway, so then... A whole bunch of people come, they want to kill him. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, my father's been working until now, and I've been working. In verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because not only did he heal on Sunday, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19, Jesus says this. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. In other words, what Jesus is saying, why did I heal this guy on Sunday? Because I saw my father do it. Why didn't I heal the other 39 people? I didn't see my father doing it. I didn't see him doing that. But I saw him doing this. See, Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was constantly, with his spiritual radar antenna in the air, Going, Lord, I could throw myself into a thousand good things. But what are you doing? What are you doing? I want to do what you're doing. I want to see what you're doing, and I want to do what you're doing. And so if I see you over here doing this, I want to do that, even though, you see, we we, we feel we put so much pressure on ourselves, like we've got to make all these wonderful, magical things happen. And this is one of the reasons why we end up getting paralyzed and we do nothing. We get paralyzed and we do nothing with the power of God. We need to learn to be led by the Spirit of God because when we see the Father doing something, we join up with it. I'll give you 100% ironclad guarantee. The power of God will be there and God will win every time. The power of God will be there and God will win every single time. We've got to learn to obey those promptings, learn to obey those leadings of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us. I was always at, um, at the beach... Uh, a few years back at Byron Bay. I'll finish with this. We're at the beach at Byron Bay. And, and I'm, I'm a, a, a big believer. I've gone from being a Christian extremist uh, who, uh, you know, I prayed for, I slapped my hands on anything. You had a pimple, I was praying for it to disappear, you know. Um, and then, of course, getting frustrated because everyone's pimples weren't disappearing. And then if you had, the, you know, someone sniffled, I was, and, I'm, and I'm an advocate of that, by the way. I pray for anything that's sick. 
Okay, anything that's sick that gets near me, I'm happy to pray for it. Um, but I've learned that the most fruit comes when I see the Father doing something. I go, oh, hang on, I'm going to do what the Father's doing over here. This is where he's moving. This is who he's speaking to and so on. So we're at the beach one day and this young boy's there and he's, he's mucking around in the water and he stands up out of the water and he's got this big tattoo across his chest. It says Jesus. And I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of weird. <laughs> big Jesus across his chest. And so anyway, at that moment, I felt like I could see the Father doing something. I felt like this impression, you need to have a chat with this kid. You need to talk to him. So we, bit by bit, kind of just inched our way. Our kids were playing and then we just a little bit like this. Every now and then the wave would come and we'd kind of get... Before you know it, we're standing right near this guy. I think he might have kicked the ball or something that ended up near us. So he came running over to us in the end. He took the last few steps, picked up the ball and we got into a conversation. I said, look, this might be a strange question, but I just couldn't help but notice your tattoo because it was about 40 foot long across your chest. It's hard not to notice it. And I said, what's the deal here? And he begins to tell us this story and he starts to tell us how, uh, you know, yeah, I used to be a Christian. Not only did I used to be a Christian, I used to be a missionary. I actually ended up in Australia as a missionary. I came over here to reach Australia for Jesus. And then he went on about a few things that had happened in his life and so on. To cut a long story short, he decided to ditch his faith, uh, ditch his missions work and so on. And he was becoming a photographer. And from the sound of it, his lifestyle was probably very different and very far from what his lifestyle was when his mum and dad sent him over here, uh, blessed him and, and so on, to go into missions work. Anyway... What I walked away from that moment afterwards, we, we, we shared. We got to share with him. I said, that's interesting because I said, I'm the opposite. I wasn't brought up in a church. So you're saying you brought up in a church and you walked away from God. I'm the opposite. I was brought up out of the church and I walked towards God. So it's interesting, the dynamic. And we chatted a bit. And then in the end, uh, we said to him, look, we got his name. We said, you know what, we're going to pray for you. Aaron, there you go. She still remembers his name. Aaron. I don't remember names really well, do I, Sarah? Uh, Jackie. <laughs> and... Um, so his name was Aaron. So, so we, we, we said we're going to pray for him. We got back in the car with the kids and we did. We prayed for Aaron. But what really struck me was driving home was the, the thought that as we were driving home thinking, you know what, if that was my son on the other side of the world and I knew that he had ditched God and was off there living a, a, another life, I would be praying my head off for him because I'd be smart enough to know there's a battle going on. And I'm not there. I can't do anything about So I'm going to be praying for this guy. And I thought, so they're over there in Canada and they're praying. And one day on a beach at Byron Bay, the father, who somehow ties the whole world together, has some of his people on a beach and he just gets their attention. He goes, look at what I'm doing over here. And so before you know it, we're over here and we're talking to this guy. We're sharing testimony and, 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 and sharing my journey and how I came to faith and then offering to pray for this kid and all this sort of stuff. His parents in Canada to this day still would have no idea. I'll guarantee they have no idea about that encounter that happened that day on the beach. I very much doubt that he went back and told them. Maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe he's born again again, and maybe he's running on with God. I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that there are, there are people all around the world engaging in spiritual battle. They're praying, they're believing. And the Father is doing things. And God has empowered us by his Holy Spirit. And the key to releasing that power is learning to be led, to listen, to see what is the Father doing and stepping into those spaces where the Father is and being led by him and doing things. It takes the pressure off us. We have to make things happen. We've got one thing to do. Continue to build our relationship with God and learn to listen to his voice, learn to see what he's doing, learn to hear what he's saying and flow with that. Because God knows 
that there are people out there and there are battles, there are fights going on, and the kingdom of heaven is still suffering violence. My fear is that the Western church, we've stopped fighting. We're just apathetic. We think that, we're going, we think the world's going to change because we've got a great sound system. We think the world's going to change because we've got nice LED lights now and an aircon. We think the kingdom of God is going to overrun this country now because we've got carpet in our own building. It's not going to happen. These are wonderful things. Great. Praise God for them. But those LED lights are not going to take the kingdom of heaven with violence. You know, That sound system is not going, to, not going to scare the devil. He's not going to go, my goodness, look at this sound system. My God, I'm losing control here. But when we start praying, when we wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, here we go, my radar's up today. And I want to see what you're doing. And when I get a sniff of what you're doing, I'm going to step into that space, Lord. And it's going to freak me out and I might be scared and it's going to take great faith, but I'm committing myself to getting out of bed going, Lord, today. You know what? Maybe he'll say nothing to you today. Maybe you'll just go through your life and you'll live by the word of God and live life the way you know you should. But maybe when you go to the shops next time, he might go, hey, I'm doing something over there. Do you want to join me? Do you want to join me? And he might extend that invitation to us. What are we going to be? Are we happy just to be a family? I think that's great. But I feel like we're called to more than that. And guess what? There's a world out there that's dependent on us stepping into that space with the power of God to push back the kingdom of darkness and usher in the kingdom of God. Anyway, that's not what I had to preach, but I hope that that, that was somebody gets something out of that because it's just bubbling in my heart all day and all morning. Anyway, Father, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for, uh, Lord, the, the chance to gather again together. Lord, we don't want to just, God, be a, a group of nice people. Father, there is a battle going on out there. God, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about being filled and we're talking about being led and now we're talking about being empowered. And Lord, I thank you that we are filled. I thank you that we are being led and I pray that we would begin to respond to those little leadings that you throw our way each day, Father, that we would be a part of what you talked about, that when John the Baptist came, things changed and the kingdom of heaven from that moment on was taken by people with passion, with zeal, with energy and spiritual fervor. And Lord, let us be those kinds of people, Father. And I pray in the next seven days, let every one of us in this room have the opportunity, God, to tell somebody out there about Jesus, somebody that doesn't know who you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, God bless. Like I said, if, if, uh, if, if, if you feel like there's something bubbling inside you, we'd love to have a chat or, or pray for you uh, this morning. Otherwise, we'll catch us. You've got connect groups and uh, all sorts of other things going on in life. Ladies, don't forget to meet up the back and talk about um, your shopping trip. Men, make sure you've told your ladies what you want when they go shopping. And uh, we'll catch us next week, if not before. Sorry, their needs, I was corrected. What the men need, not want, it's their needs. <laughs>